I am the kind of person that believes it's important to say people's names right. <laughs> and I apologize if, if that's not important to you. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Let's face it, bookkeeping is hard, and it's not really what you're good at anyway. Bench.co is the online bookkeeping service that pairs you with a team of dedicated bookkeepers who use simple, elegant software to do your bookkeeping for you. Check it out at bench.co slash JavaScript Jabber for 20% off today. They focus on what matters most, and that's why they're there. Once again, that's bench.co slash JavaScript Jabber. This episode is sponsored by Wrangle.io. Wrangle's been working with Angular 2 for a long time. And they are now putting together an eight-hour, two-day course designed to help Angular developers learn how to write apps in Angular 2. If you're looking to level up your JavaScript and Angular 2 skills, then go to wrangle.io slash training and click on the link for Angular 2 training. If you're looking for other training in React or JavaScript, they also have that available at wrangle.io slash training. This episode is sponsored by Rollbar. One of the frustrating things about being a developer is dealing with errors. Ugh! Relying on users to report errors, digging through log files to try debugging issues, or a million alerts flooding your inbox ruining your day. With Rollbar's full-stack error monitoring, you get the context, insights, and control you need to find and fix bugs faster. It's easy to install, and you can start tracking production errors and deployments in 8 minutes or less. We have a special offer for JavaScript Jabber listeners. Go to rollbar.com jsjabber and sign up to get the bootstrap plan free for 90 days. That's 300,000 errors tracked for free. Loved by developers at awesome companies like Heroku, Twilio, Kayak, Instacart, Zendesk, Twitch, and more. Give Rollbar a try today. Go to rollbar.com slash jsjabber. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 227 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. I'm your host today, Dave Smith, and with us today also is Amy Knight. Hello. We have three very special guests today. Ben Dunphy. Hey, how's it going? Berkeley Martinez. What up? Ian Sinnott. Hello. And we're going to be talking about React and community today. Would you guys like to take a minute and introduce yourselves? Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Benjamin Dunphy. I am a partner and organizer at a little meetup group called Real World React. And we are a meetup group based in San Francisco. And we put on meetups, which feature talks, presentations from people, you know, in the React community that just want to share their experiences, either with apps they're building or, you know, companies that want to talk to the React community and engage them to talk about uh, how they've used React. As a partner, we also train companies on how to use React. So that's what Berkeley and I do on the side. Exciting topic. I'm glad we're talking about this. Mm -hmm. I feel like so many other communities um, like Angular and Ember and even like the Rails community it's really, really, really evolved and 
Um, as someone newer to the React community, I do feel like it's lacking a little bit. I know some, pe- some people are going to hate me for saying that, but... <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Berkeley, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. So I'm Berkeley Martinez. I am CTO of FreeCodeCamp, and I'm also a partner at Real World React, partner and teacher. And Ian. And yeah, I'm Ian Sinnott. I am, an, of course, a co-organizer of our Real World React meetup group here in San Francisco. And I'm also the lead front-end developer at a startup here in San Francisco called True Star Technology. Cool. So how about that React community? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that's... Worst question ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's nice to leave it open-ended. What... There's, there's obviously a lot we want to talk about, and this is a huge topic, but it's something that if you're relatively new to React or you're outside of the React community, you may not know about. And also, it's just extremely important. As Amy was, I think you were saying, mentioning that the Angular community is uh, really big and powerful. And I feel that exact same way about the React community. And it's just a huge, huge deciding factor when you choose a new technology. And it leads for a really nice experience both, you know, at the computer and out in person when you're talking to other people. Definitely. Now, you, none, now you, none of you are none actually you are React 14 members. 14 members. That's correct. Um, so React was open sourced. So there's definitely a React core team from Facebook, but there's lots of people that contribute from the open source community. Uh, I don't know if Berkeley has made any contributions to React. I myself have just read the source, but no code in there. Uh, no, I haven't contributed any code. Uh, it's a very complicated uh, piece of software. I don't know how many of you on this call have actually read through the code base. I would actually love to kind of talk about that a little bit, because that's one thing that I had started to do. And I actually, I I experienced the same thing you said. I feel like other code bases that I've tried to read, although, um, you know, even though I haven't been a developer for all that long, it's always intimidating, but others were a little bit easier to dive into. But the React code base itself, definitely not so much. So I'm curious, kind of your thoughts on that and how you've gone about doing that. That was definitely my experience as well, Amy. I think the biggest reason is Facebook does a lot of things that are really great for Facebook, but bad for other people who want to contribute. For instance, I think they use a special feature in Webpack that allows them just to specify their modules by name instead of by directory. At any level, you can just say import this module. It looks like it's importing like a top-level NPM module, but then what Webpack does is it translates that to an actual you know, directory path. So that if you're new to the project and you're looking at this one specific file and you're looking at the imports, and you're saying, oh, it's importing this module. This is what I did at first. I went on NPM to find this module and it turns out it's not there. And that's because Webpack is doing a lot of smart things for them. I could speak to that a little bit too, because React is a huge and complex code base. But I think some good advice I received in the past when looking at such a large and complex code base is to if you go in the tags on GitHub or just in Git in general, you can go check out React 0.3 or some really early version of React. And you end up with a much smaller code base that's also seen far fewer performance improvements. I think when diving into React, something that you see, which is really tough a lot, is there's a ton of performance optimizations that are done in the React code base, which is amazing as a developer because you get all this performance out of the box. But when you're reading through the code, there's a lot of stuff there that you might not instantly understand because it's done strictly for performance reasons. And that doesn't always 
translate well into really obvious code if you're trying to figure out what it's doing. So how have you gone about doing this then? Going to the code base of React? Yes. Uh, what I actually do is look at my NPM modules and just add debugger statements there and run the code that way. Because then we're looking at the post build stage of the React library. You can actually step through and see where it's going. And then I use that to reference the actual files on GitHub. I think another thing that helps is if you look at React or any library, largely from a more abstract level and say, what are the core pieces of what this library does? In React, you could say, you know, it does virtual DOM diffing. It does DOM creation. And it has an eventing system. And if you look at those three separate things and then go try to find them in the code base, you can greatly weed down the amount of code you have to look at to understand each piece. Or if you're trying to understand the virtual DOM engine, you can likewise totally ignore the eventing system, totally ignore what translates the virtual DOM tree into actual DOM and look strictly look at the reconciler. So I guess I'm kind of curious, do you feel like this is something that Facebook itself should try to work on? Or do you think it's up to developers to do this? And, you know, because I guess like most of these things are really built to solve an internal problem, and they're not necessarily built like for a community. So potentially like other communities go back after the fact and try to improve these things. But do you really think it's like Facebook's responsibility to do this? or? Or not necessarily. <laughs> well, I think what they've done a really good job at is abstracting away a lot of complexity in the right areas, like making this library extremely performant. And the virtual DOM diffing is they do these tree comparisons on your virtual data structures that you probably don't want to write by hand. And it's totally abstracted. You don't even have to know how it's working to use the library, which is really cool. So there is a big disconnect between using React, which I think the React team and the community at large has tried to make very simple, and diving into the source code. But that's understandable. It is meant to be an implementation detail, and it's really quite nice if you're just using the library versus trying to contribute to it. I would really like to see Facebook try a little harder to make it really easy for someone new to the code base to come in and know what's going on. But I don't really see that as kind of the point of React. They have very different goals they're trying to reach and not necessarily bringing on new people from outside the company. And that makes sense because they're, they're using React all over the place at Facebook. So they have people supporting it on the team. And I would like to stress the difference between understanding the code base and using it. And it's always really nice to understand the code base that you're using. But with React, as Berkeley said, it's a big, complex code base. And I think we do really see the React team trying to simplify things and make it more usable. Just recently, this is actually one of my picks for later, but they released a library for creating React apps without having to do any configuration on your own, which, you know, usually that involves, I need to learn Webpack and I need to learn Babel and ES6. But if you use this library they created for the community, you can start building React out of the box really quickly. And it's actually meant to have production-grade tooling inside of it. So it saves a lot of time and effort for anyone new to React. And so this just came out last week or something, really recently. But in my opinion, it shows a very significant effort on part of the React core team to make it more usable to the broader community. So as someone who's using React to build products, how important do you think it is for people to 
dive into the code base and really understand it? Honestly, I don't think it, it is that important. The usage can be largely decoupled from the implementation. And I believe that's very much on purpose because they do so many performance optimizations and things that you don't want to be coding every day. Just like JavaScript has a garbage collector because you don't want to do memory allocation on your own. <laughs> I think of React in the same way. It does all these performance optimizations for us without us having to understand them. And I think it's just up to the individual developer whether or not they want to spend the time because time is a significant investment. And so if you want to spend the time, you absolutely should go through and understand what React is doing. But if you would rather just build something now, it's also really good for that. And in my opinion, you do not need to understand the inner workings of React to build really significant applications with it. Okay, so we've talked about that part for a while, you know, understanding the code base itself. What other parts of the React ecosystem and community do you think are important? So I think a strong community with any library results in a number of things, such as uh, an ecosystem. You get a ton of React components out in the wild that are really useful. Say you want a combo box in your React app, it's just uh, npm install away, and you have this component you can drop in any part of your UI. Really quick really nice. And you also get a ton of tooling. When you change your JSX, you change your React components and you see it live update in the browser without affecting your app state. And that also came out of this really significant community. Dan Abramov, who I think was on the show before, really pioneered that. And he was not part of Facebook's core team at the time. He was a community member and was subsequently hired by Facebook. But he was absolutely just part of the overall community when he did all that interesting work that a lot of us now use every day in development. And at least for me, I feel it'd be really hard to go back to not having hot reloading in my apps. So the ecosystem is really significant. And then there's also the ability to learn the technology at hand, which really benefits from a large ecosystem. People are writing blog posts or creating video tutorials. You get a lot of free online tutorials for React because there's just so many people who do it and want to share their experience. You also get a ton of great blog posts and a ton of information that gets out of date really quickly because this is the JavaScript world. But then you have a ton more that supersedes it and is updated because there are just so many people here in the community that love this technology. That actually leads me to a question. I feel like I used to do another podcast, Angular Air, and if I recall correctly, we had a show where we were talking about React and Angular, and people always like to talk about pulling numbers from Google searches. And someone brought up that if you did a Google search for like React docs versus the Angular docs, that the Angular docs were more popular. So that, you know, led people to believe that the Angular community was larger. But then someone else chimed in that, you know, there's so much specific to Angular, whereas with React, it's a lot more, like the API is much smaller. So they thought, well, potentially that's why there are more Google searches for Angular, because there's a lot more to their API to learn. So in your opinion, you know, you're a lot more plugged in. Do you think that the ecosystems are fairly similar in size, or do you think one is larger than the other? Good question. Really hard to say without being Google, I suppose, and having... <laughs> all of their data. Well, you could look at the searches, but I think both points on the size of Google searches with regard to Angular are probably correct. It is a larger library with a larger API surface area, which naturally means it's going to have more documentation and a more significant learning curve. Probably if you want to actually know, say, every piece of the API and React is much smaller. But 
I myself do not have much experience with Angular. Maybe Berkeley could touch on that a bit since he's done both in a very significant way. Yeah, definitely Angular is a much larger library. And Angular 2, I think, is going to be even bigger since they're adding RxJS and now TypeScript. It's gotten a lot more complicated. I think definitely they probably went the wrong direction. But yeah, it is much larger. So if you came from the Angular community, are there things that you feel like you miss from that? Or are there things that you prefer about the React community? Yeah, there's definitely nothing I miss. I think as soon as I started, I think I did one like little tutorial on React and I was hooked. And I just completely abandoned Angular at that point. I haven't really thought about it since. I think once I had to do some maintenance work on an old Angular app, and it's just the memories that came back were being frustrated, it not working. <laughs> like 7,000 Angular developers just collectively sighed. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't well, miss us. Just, let's, not, let's be nice and not talk about other communities negatively. So I'd actually be curious, each of you, how long have you been programming for? Because... I feel like the Angular community, you know, a lot of people like to say, I've heard the analogy that the learning curve is like a hockey stick where it's like pretty flat and then it shoots straight up. Um, but still, you know, as someone newer to this, I feel like it is much easier to get started in Angular. So as you talk about that, I'm really curious, you know, how much experience you've had, you have yourself as a developer, if you've worked with junior developers and learning React and what your experience is there. Let me jump in there because I think a uh, fun little anecdote, Mr. Berkeley, who's on the call, was the one who introduced me to React, uh, I would say about a year and a half ago. And since that time, you know, I brought it into the stack at the company I work at, and it is now our entire front end stack. And we render React to almost the very root of the DOM and the entire UI is built with it. And it's been a great experience. And in my opinion, it was actually pretty easy to learn it and get up to speed with it. And of course, it's a, it's always something that you're, you continue to do. I could know, learn React better and I will know React better a month from now than I do now because I use it every day, but that's okay. I don't think the effort to get up to a productive point with React is that significant, but you know, everyone's mileage may vary. And if you're used to something such as all the APIs you have in Angular, then maybe React will strike you as too low level and not doing enough for you. So how much experience do you actually have as a developer? Like how long have you been writing JavaScript before you started using React? For me, about two years. Two years as a developer or just two years writing JavaScript? Uh, about the same for both, actually, prior to doing anything with React. Okay. So it seems like you're pretty similar with me. And, you know, I feel like, so I'm trying to make the analogy in my mind. If I, I started off learning Angular, but if I had started off learning React, I feel like it potentially would have been a little bit more difficult, not just because of like React, but the ecosystem, you know, learning everything in ES6 and just the React ecosystem could be pretty complicated. And I feel like I get a lot of emails or have a lot of conversations with newer developers, and they are just pretty overwhelmed. So do you have any advice there? Totally fair. I think that's been a problem since React's inception and since it gained a lot of popularity before. So React Core team just released this tool to help you build React apps without having to dive into the configuration at all and make it very easy to get started. But again, that was last week or something. It's very recent. So before that, I absolutely agree. It was tough. It was an uphill battle. You had to learn all this tooling just to get started. 
And I think some people actually liked that, maybe in a in a very strange way. Like myself, I really enjoyed learning all the tooling and completely over-optimizing all my applications. But that is a significant hurdle. I absolutely understand that. It took me a lot of time. I just thought it was kind of fun. So I kept on going. Amy, I think also to your point, I think because React is so hot right now and people just hear that React is this cool thing that they want to be building with, that even before <laughs> yeah. they master JavaScript, they'll jump right into React and try to learn that. And then they see, oh, everyone that's developing with React is using ES6. Let me get into that. So I think a lot of people are just jumping the gun before they master JavaScript, before they know how to do maps and just very you know simple things like that. They're going to jump into React and they're going to be overwhelmed, especially when you throw in the dev environment. What Eden was talking about with the Create React app that the React core team just came out with, that's going to help people to get started with React in the whole dev environment without having to worry about all that configuration. But you do need to know JavaScript before you get into that. And it's definitely true that it is a lot easier with Angular. I think within three months of me starting to actually code, I went up what was Elance, which is now Upwork. I went on Upwork and got a freelance job. And, you know, that was my first developer job was on Elance. And that was only three months of programming. And it, Angular made it super easy. So it, in that way, it's a little more productive. But I definitely felt now, especially looking back, that my JavaScript wasn't really up to par. It was just Angular doing a lot of the work for me. Totally. I can definitely relate to that. And I can also relate to Ben. I know. So when I was in my boot camp, we did three months of JavaScript and Node and three months of Ruby on Rails. And one of the big reasons why I just, you know, gravitated towards the JavaScript side was I, I feel like very similar to what we're talking about here, where I just felt at that time, especially this was like two years ago, you know, Express was and, and Node was like really growing in popularity. So it was really like the Wild West out there and that challenge of, you know, having to figure out how I wanted to set up my Express app because there weren't a lot of best practices out there yet and just like so many different modules to choose from. Like that challenge just was uh, kind of like irresistible for me. So that's why I ended up going the JavaScript route. <laughs> so I can see that with React too. Nice. So can we talk about community for a little bit? I'm actually a little bit more plugged in with the Angular community than I am with the React community. And even when I think about Ember as well, I can pretty much have a feel for what these communities are like. Like, for example, Angular, super inclusive, super friendly. They're all about collaboration. They really eschew, they, they really dislike competitive stances where, like, if you try to say, hey, Angular team, what's better, Angular or React? Like, they, they're just like, look, I don't even want to get in that discussion. Like, that's not how I want to talk. And to the point that they've taken tools from Ember, you know, the Ember CLI is now, like, integrated into Angular CLI. And the Ember community seems to be like all about like we are going to be like basically an SDK for the web. We're going to kind of create a very obvious common way of how to do things. How would you guys sum up the React community like in that regard? Just before jumping into that, I just wanted to say that I don't know how the React community feels at large from outside of it, since I'm very much inside of it. But in my experience, it is also we certainly don't take the mindset that this is any sort of competition or that we're comparing communities, what's really amazing is how, like you said, with Ember and Angular, you see different communities and different technologies learning from each other and getting better. And that is exactly what happens in the React community, too. I think a perfect example is React Router, which the creators of React Router actively say was completely inspired by the Ember Router because it was just so good. They loved it. They had to bring it to React. 
And that's something beautiful in the JavaScript community at large is how all the sub-communities learn from each other and get better and make their technologies better. So I think at least at Real World React, we see it very much as a collaborative environment under the banner of JavaScript as a whole and certainly not combative or trying to say one community is better than the other. And I definitely think the React community is much younger. With a lot of the people I meet at these meetups and, and gatherings are new to React and really interested in learning it, and they're all running into the same hurdles, but it is a lot younger than the Angular community. I think what I've noticed is that our members at our, at our meetups and at other React meetups as well are just very, very communicative, very, very excited. And it's really easy to see it and not just see it, but to feel it. You kind of feel it in the air. And as the organizer of Real World React, you know, I introduce all the speakers and I get up there and give a very quick introduction speech. And at our last meetup at NerdWallet, um, we were featuring Lee Byron speaking, but before I got to introduce him and, and our other speaker, Moose, um, I really had to quiet everyone down, which at other meetups you can go to and, you know, people will quiet down pretty quickly. But uh, it took me a while to get everyone settled down <laughs> before we actually started the meetup. So in a word, super chatty, what you're saying. So chatty. So the, ch the chattiest group of people. <laughs> but I would say to speak to what the React community is, something I notice a lot is a emphasis on developer experience, which I've found super exciting because we're all developers here. And... As I mentioned, you, we all saw Dan Abramov come out with React Hot Loader, which led to us all being able to hot reload our apps almost instantly, which was a huge win for developer experience. And I think in part because of that, you see other things like, of course, that led to Redux or he created Redux. And then you have the Redux DevTools now, which is this whole Chrome plugin that is an entire dashboard to let give you insight into the state of your app and how it's changing over time, which is is really cool and actually really helpful as a developer. And not to say anything about other communities, I don't know, but the React community seems to put a lot of emphasis on the happiness of its developers and our ability to debug our apps with things like being able to view state over time and predictably understand how state changes. Would you say that the React community has a stronger emphasis on functional programming than other communities have? I'm not sure how Berkeley would feel about this, but I would say certainly. The React community was actually my introduction to functional programming in JavaScript because you had underscore and Lodash. They've been around for a long time, but I, I certainly never thought of those as these concepts that a lot of concepts that are derived from functional programming. I never thought about you know, map or reduce as these functional programming concepts, but just as functions that happen to exist on arrays. But after using React, you notice that in any almost any React code base, you get very few for each loops or even four loops and just a whole bunch of maps and reduces. And it's really cool because, of course, these are all non-mutative operations. But I would absolutely agree or I think that the React community definitely does emphasize functional programming. How does the React community tend to get connected? Like if I am a developer coming into this community and I want to get connected, where do I go? So for us, our meetup is featured on meetup.com. So... If you're in the SF Bay Area, just go to meetup.com, search React.js or React, and you'll find a bunch of different groups or, you know, events, depending on which one you're searching for. There's us, there's the SF React.js Bay Area meetup by Devin, and there's a few others that are popping up. And in your respective city, I'm not sure how popular meetup is outside of the Bay Area, but, you know, look on, look on meetup, look on Eventbrite, just Googling events. I, I know Portland uses Caligator. 
So whichever platform you're using, always trying to discover events. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of, actually, that's where we're having we're we're having a meetup there as well as a workshop, and we're in talks right now with Epicodus and Impact Flow to host both of those. So we're we're branching out of the Bay Area. (laughs) And to answer your question, certainly not limited to the Bay Area. uh, I would highly recommend Twitter. Hands down. I get the most up-to-date and recent React news from Twitter just by following the people that are very visible in the community. Again, I'm just going to look at Dan Abramov because he's become so visible. But he had this Medium article a long time ago about who to follow. And it's all these people on Twitter. It's essentially a list of people that were at the forefront of the community. And I think he was absolutely right. And it's still very much the case that if you know who to follow and you follow them on Twitter and let's say you just make a Twitter list. And if you look at that list, you're going to have all of the most up to date, most bleeding edge react information that you could ever want, because these people are very active on social media, at least Twitter, always talking about libraries they're interested in or things they're working on or, or meetups they're hosting. So I would recommend Twitter. That's true for me as well. I have a list of people I follow that uh, tweet a lot about JavaScript and React specifically. And that's how I heard about Create React App. I think it was as soon as it came out, I saw it on Twitter. Everyone was talking about it. Yeah, I was actually the same way. And people often ask me, like, who should I follow on Twitter? Because you have this signal to noise problem sometimes. You know, if you follow the wrong people and you end up with just a bunch of pictures of cute cats or something you know it's like well i like cats but i was actually interested in react news so hopefully you guys can share that link and we can put it in the show notes so our listeners can check it out absolutely and i i wanted to mention one more thing um about engaging the react community is it's conferences now if you're if you know react then you probably know of react conf which takes place typically in san francisco or at facebook's offices in q1 around february but there's lots of community conferences that have popped up. You have React Rally that's happening in, in Salt Lake City this year, um, August 25th to 26th. You have React Next in Tel Aviv. You have Reactive 2016 in Bratislava, Slovakia. So it's happening all around the world. And even for JS, who's having their, their conference this week, they have tons of workshops this year. And a lot of them are around React and the entire ecosystem around that. And... Speaking of that, we're actually kind of planning a conference slash workshop that's going to be complementary to next year's React Conf, and we're calling it Reactathon. And the reason why we did this is because last year I, as many others, wanted to get into React Conf, but <laughs> it was it was like getting tickets to the Super Bowl. It was yeah. it was really popular and really difficult. So we kind of wanted to create this community outlet for people who either didn't get in or just wanted to get into learning React because React Conf is kind of more geared to people who who know React very well. So with all of the networking we've been doing with our real React meetup, we've talked to a lot of companies that want to get involved in this, you know, hosting just meetups, talks, workshops, just kind of creating this sort of like week-long event leading up to React Conf. So it's building up anticipation, building up community, and getting more people involved that would otherwise not be involved. And Ben brings up another good point about how to dive into the community is just the videos from past React conferences. And not just React Conf, but also React Europe, of course. Those two are huge. So if I you know, 
Uh, Dan Abramov announced all his stuff at the first React Conf. Or, was that React Europe, I guess? Yeah, it was. Anyway, if I'm wondering how to do animation in React, there's certainly plenty of resources out there, but you could just watch Chung Lo's talk on React Motion, which I think may have also been at React Europe. And that's a great intro to how you might want to do animation in React in a declarative way, which is kind of a mind-bender if you've been using jQuery for all your animations before. So the talks that are all recorded and put online for free and for everyone are an excellent source of kind of an overview into what's going on in the React community and some deep dives, if that's what you want as well. So I'll second that about conferences. I think sometimes people go to conferences thinking that the talks are the number one thing you're there to see, but... I've actually gotten most of the value that I've gotten out of conferences by just interacting with other people who are attending and talking about their stuff. Like, hey, what are you guys doing? You know, what technologies are you using? How are you using React? How are you using Angular? You know, whatever the technology is. Had a, I've had a great time just comparing notes. Like, oh, yeah, we ran into this problem. Oh, yeah, that same problem. How'd you solve it? Wow, that never occurred to me. You know, like, it's really cool. And I think the best conference organizers know that those interactions are important and they'll structure their conference schedule to maximize them. Yeah, very true. And if there's anyone listening who has not been to a developer conference, something you often get is happy hours or social events after the formal event is over during the day, which is, you know, in addition to the conference, uh, just walking around the venue, it's another great opportunity to mingle with people who are really passionate about whatever technology it is or what, whatever subject area it may be. So uh, I think the conference point applies to anything for which there are conferences and you want to know more about, not just React in particular. All right. Well, can we talk a little bit about technology that came out of the community? We, we've already talked a little bit about Dan Abramoff uh, and what he did with Redux. But um, one of the interesting things about the React community is that there's actually a lot of competing Flux architecture implementations. Right, Redux is just one of like 10 different ways. And in fact, I think this may be something that actually is a, a problem for the React community, which is when I start out with React, I have to choose now between all these different solutions for various problems. Like, what am I going to use for Ajax? What am I going to use for Flux? Am I going to use Flux at all? Should I use Flux? What have you guys found to be the case with the React community when it comes to addressing these kinds of problems? That definitely was the case. I don't think it's the case anymore, at least when it comes to Flux, because Redux kind of swallowed up all the other ones. And I certainly recommend everyone start with Redux, anyone who's looking to implement Flux. And for anyone who doesn't know, this coming from Mr. Berkeley, who wrote his own Flux implementation. So <laughs> yes. That's a pretty strong recommendation. <laughs> Misguided. Which one, which one did you write, Berkeley? I wrote one called Thundercats, Thundercats JS. It was based on RxJS. It was built with RxJS. And why did you decide to say that it's misguided? Just I think at the time Redux had come out and I really loved RxJS and I didn't really see a really great Flux implementation using RxJS and I thought I could do uh, way better. And then running into a bunch of issues with my version of Flux and looking at the progress that was happening around the Redux community, which itself is a very large community that uh, might be larger than the React community itself. But yeah, I saw how fastly Re Redux was growing, and I just decided it was a better option for me and uh, for a free CoCamp to use something that, it, that already has such a strong community and then instead of trying to implement my own. It's kind of a shame, though, because you definitely had the better name. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> there are other libraries that you should really be using if you're going to create a, a Redux app or React Redux app. And I think while the Flux question, I think, has been pretty much settled, there are other questions as well, like Ajax. How do you do Ajax in Redux? And I think Ajax is the question that was kind of left out of Redux because there wasn't a great way to do it that was native to JavaScript that would be functional, that would fit in with Redux. Yeah, Berkeley said exactly what I was going to say, which is you know, not to discount your question by saying uh, Redux is now the flux. There are still many other aspects of development, especially with React apps, for which there are myriad solutions. And as a beginner or even a veteran who just isn't used to the ecosystem, what do you choose is a really significant question. And async is a prime example. You've got your promises and your thunks and your Redux sagas, and then you've got RxJS. Like Berkeley was talking about tons of choices and very little agreement, at least as far as I've seen, onto what's the best one to use. Or even if there is agreement, this person might be using, they have this whole code base that they wrote with one approach and it would take a lot of effort to refactor it. So they're just going to keep on going with that approach, which is something you see in development in general. But it, it is definitely a hurdle that you overcome. I think testing is also a big one. How do you test your React components or how do you test your apps in general? And Redux giving us these pure functions, these reducer functions to manage our state helped a lot towards that end. But then there was the question of how to test React components and Facebook had Jest and then Airbnb came out with Enzyme. And so there, there are, again, a lot of options for you to choose from. And that hasn't exactly been solved yet. This problem in many different areas or functionality that you want to solve for. but I think the, the underlying reason would be that it is it is fairly young. It's like the React router guys said that in the Ember community, there were all sorts of competing routers for Ember, and then one of it eventually emerged victorious. And we saw that in the Flux also. You know, Redux emerged victorious, but there were just myriad implementations of Flux out there in the wild. And so I think over time, we'll see that in a lot of other areas within JavaScript development in general will, as a community, recognize what is probably the best way to do things. And that's subjective too, but if I think the community will settle on, if you want this, then you do this, or if you want that, then you do that. But there will be fewer than there are now choices. So I actually, yeah. I actually want to push back on your answer there a little bit, because while I know that there's been a few cases where the community settles on something, like Redux, clearly the community settled on it, uh, there's still, that, that seems to be very rare. You know, like the community seems to be like, they seem to love not just React community, but the entire web ecosystem seems to love the idea of choices. And it seems to me like as I follow these people on Twitter and see what's happening, that choices are actually growing in number, not consolidating. In other words, the trend, it's like very rare where you go, okay, for this pattern, we're going to consolidate on Redux and everyone settles on it. You know, the React Router is an example of where people have pretty much consolidated, I think. But like in every other area, it seems to me like choices are expanding, not shrinking. What do you guys think about that? I think there are two really good examples that counter that, but I think you're absolutely right that when it when it's something that's not as important or as big, you get a lot of choices. But I think as time goes on, we'll see them consolidate. But the two examples I want to give, the first one is linting. So obviously linting, there used to be uh, tons of options. They're all really good. No one really came on top. And then ESLint came out and they made a huge wave. 
And now what we see is uh, a consolidation of East Lint and J JSCS, which is another linting project that was uh, also trying to replace JS Hint, I believe. And then the second example would be the node IOJS split, right? This was a very important mm -hmm. uh, split that happened, and then we saw reconciliation. Yeah, totally fair point about there being more and more libraries at the same time as some really important libraries or really important areas of functionality are being consolidated. So I think both points are totally valid. We're likely to see much more expansion of libraries in the future at the same time as we see some really important functionalities consolidated into fewer libraries. So as long as we're predicting the future, what do you guys think is the future for React? Like, let's say two to five years from now, what is the React community and ecosystem going to look like? Just go ahead and pull out your crystal balls. React takes over the world. Development teams drop their <laughs> <laughs> iOS teams for React, React. Native. <laughs> React for president. <laughs> that, that would probably be a great option right I, now. I would vote for that. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I would like to see. It would be really cool to see. I don't know if this is something that would actually ever come about, but seeing first-class support for things like virtual DOM would be great. You mean like native in the browser? Yes. And I think we, I mean, we've seen every other major framework adopt this pattern, right? So Angular now has, I believe Angular has a virtual DOM. Ember has Glimmer, I believe, which is virtual DOM, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I'm going to let that one sit. I, I'm not sure the implementation of Glimmer and, and the Angular 2 rendering engine, I'm not sure. I, I don't think they would call themselves virtual DOM, but they might say they were inspired by it. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Yeah, predicting the future in general is obviously a very difficult practice but in the world of javascript it's you know it's a whole nother beast because the community is changing so fast and the ecosystem's changing and you know 10 years ago you might have thought or anyone might have thought geez jquery is the future it's going to be around forever we're going to be using it in all of our apps and today we might say the same about react or angular or angular 2 or or what have you. But at a certain point, it seems historically as though many technologies have gotten superseded that we thought were going to be that we're going to take over the world. So I, I would not say that React is the end all be all that will take over the world. But it's certainly pushing towards some significant milestones, especially with React Native, with you know, GitHub pushing electrons, you can develop uh, desktop apps as well in JavaScript. And a lot of people, you see a lot of developers using React and Redux to develop desktop apps. So you've got desktop, you've got mobile, you've got web, obviously, and you can do all your server-side rendering with React too. So it, it has a lot going for it, but it'd be difficult to say that it'll be around for any certain amount of time. <laughs> True. Next week, it could disappear. So uh, what should we have asked you that we haven't asked you so far? So one of the things that we had in our own notes, or I had in my notes, was I wanted to touch on, again, we've been talking a bit about the community and about the technology too, but uh, community being so important, whether it's React or Angular or any community in any locale, it's really nice to get people together who have a common interest. And it would be nice to see, and this is already happening, but it'd be great to see more communities pop up around any technology around the world, because we're fairly spoiled here in San Francisco. Being what it is, if you open up meetup.com, you have you know 12 React meetups in a given week, something out of control. And it's nice, because you can meet all these developers, but it'd be great to see the community expand uh, locally, because online, it's, it's everywhere. Everyone's talking about React on Twitter, and you've got your Slack channels, and you've got GitHub, 
But I think it'd be really cool to see more groups focused on React or Angular or what have you. Just bringing people together is an amazing way to spread ideas. And it's, uh, as we can speak to, and especially Ben, since he's done a lot of the work on our end, it's not actually very difficult to bring together a community since the community already exists. Cool. So if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Twitter. Twitter's the yeah, best way Twitter. for everybody. Uh, agreed. On Twitter, we are at RWReact, short for Real World React. And then, yeah, the rest of our handles, we can put in the show notes. Sweet. Well, let's move on to picks, shall we? Amy, can we start with you? Sure. I have another podcast pick. So this one is more geared towards um, newer developers, but, um, well, actually, I take that back. It's for everybody. Uh, but it's called This Developing Story. He just kind of talks about different developers that you've probably heard about in the community and how they got into programming. I was on there a couple weeks ago. Kent Dodds was on there, or Kent C. Dodds, excuse me. How dare <laughs> was, you? <laughs> was on there, I think, the week before me. But I really enjoyed this podcast, listening to it, and just being a guest on it. So that's my first pick. And then my second pick, I have, like, somewhat... I guess, hopeful news. I am relocating to Nashville in September. So my pick is just going to be Nashville because I love the people there. I love the developer community there. So if you are ever looking for a place to come visit, come check out Nashville. And uh, November is there too in the fall. So that's it for me. All right, Ben, what are your picks? All right, so my picks are, are rather beginner friendly. If you're new to React and want to learn it in just seven minutes, just Google uh, egghead.io React in seven minutes. And John Lindquist gives a great introduction, complete with basically building a simple app in React in just seven minutes. And it's free, so they might ask you for your email. I think Egghead's been doing that lately. So uh, if you have to put up with that, just, just go for it. The second one is uh, Lee Byron, his talk at RenderConf 2016. He gives a great talk on application architecture and the entire ecosystem that is that React is kind of fomenting and cultivating. Um, this is he gave an expanded talk on this um, at our meetup a few weeks prior, um, but our recording for it fell through at the last minute, so I can't actually recommend his talk at our meetup as a pick. But uh, this is this is just as good, and he's a great speaker and it's very interesting. The third is uh, Nick Schrock, the React Conf 2016 keynote. This gives you a, a great overview. Nick is a great speaker. It gives you a great introduction to. React as a horizontal platform, which means that it's something that can be used to build for the web and mobile and natively across all platforms. So very interesting. All right. Thanks. Ian, what are your picks? My first pick, in case anyone couldn't guess, would be this uh, new NPM package, which lets you create React apps with zero configuration. And it is called Create React App. So if you do an NPM install, create React App hyphenated, you get this project. And I think it's really cool because as we've touched on in this conversation, there has been a lot of discontentment with the state of tooling in React because it takes so much to get set up. Then for my second pick, it would be this GitHub repo called Functional Programming Jargon, which React aside, this is a, it's a really cool to see, you know, if you've ever wondered what a functor is or what a monad is, and you wanted to see examples of what those are in JavaScript, this repository is really good for that. And my final pick, because I just played around with it this last week, would be the serverless framework, which used to be called JAWS. But I'm a huge proponent of building static sites, i.e. with no server behind them, just static files. But once in a while, you do need some server-side functionality. 
And the idea that you can just use an AWS Lambda to add a tiny bit of functionality where you need it is really cool. But of course, AWS is a complex beast in and of itself. So this framework makes it easier to get set up with that. And I had a good time with it. Great. Berkeley, what are your picks? Sure. My first pick is a blog. I think it's just titled Ben's Blog. Not this Ben, but another Ben. Benoit Valen. It's a really great blog that has specific posts on data structures with all the examples written in JavaScript, in plain JavaScript, uh, ES5 JavaScript. And I've shared this with a couple of people, and I think they really enjoyed it. I know I really enjoyed it, especially when I needed to implement something like this. My second pick would be Isaac Asimov's robot series. So this is The Caves of Steel from 1953, The Naked Sun, 1955, and The Robots of Dawn, 1983. I think this is like a really great series that not a lot of people uh, know about. Uh, this is where the three laws of robotics originally came from. And my third pick is a video from Vsauce. It's a video on Ziff's law. I think it's really interesting oh, yeah. to see all these patterns that have come out and, and some of the explanations about these patterns and what they might mean and imply with, about human language and, and the way humans think in general. That is a really cool video. I second that pick. Yes. Okay, so for my picks today, I'm just going to pick one thing, which is a little bit off the beaten path for me, but still at least computer-related. So I've, I've been programming for about 15 years straight now, and my hand started hurting for the first time in my life as a programmer, and so uh, this actually made me really nervous. And so I decided to buy a ergonomic keyboard, and I got this thing called a Kinesis Advantage. And it, it basically took my 100 word per minute typing rate down to like 10 words per minute, but after about three or four weeks, I'm back up to about 80, and my hands feel great. So I wanted to pick that. It's kind of a pricey little keyboard, but it is really, really nice on the hands. I've actually been trying to snag one of those on eBay for about three weeks. They oh, go yeah? really fast, yeah, just to interrupt. I don't know. Uh, yeah. One other thing that I did when I started feeling wrist pain is just hanging from a bar, you know, open hand hanging, and just stay there as long as you can. It stretches out your spine and your arms. It's really great for that. Cool idea. Right on. Well, thanks, guys. It was awesome having you on the show, Ben, Ian, and Berkeley. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right, that's a wrap. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit cachefly.com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber. And there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests.